0: Hey, everybody. Just real quick before the show started, uh, this is Steve, and I just wanted to let you know, for all the latest information on our podcast, hit us up on Twitter at EILFmovies. That's everything I learned from movies. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. If you're looking for incredible art or maybe gifts for an upcoming uh, birthday or Father's Day, Mother's Day, anything like that, Christmas, uh, you can check out Izzy's art at untidyvenus.etsy.com. You can also find us on all the uh, podcatchers like Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever they're calling it these days, Podcast Addict. Uh, Basically, Google us, you'll find us, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. All right, on with the show. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one last plot holes of gratuitous poopies It's time to get busy With your friend (laughs) Steven. Alexandra Paul has appeared in over 100 feature films and television programs Including Christine, Dragnet, Spy Spyheart, Sharknado 4 and is internationally recognized for her five-year starring role as Lieutenant Stephanie Holden in the TV series Baywatch. She has also been an outspoken activist on a number of topics from the environment, to gay and lesbian rights, to nuclear disarmament, to animal rights, and natural disasters. She has recently launched her wellness coaching business where she personally coaches clients on the phone all over the world and speaks to groups on how to change their habits for a healthier lifestyle and a happier life. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Paul was kind enough to join us on everything I learned from movies.
1: Hi, Steve. It's Alexandra. Hey,
0: Alexandra. How are you doing today?
1: I'm fine. Thank you. Hi, Alexandra. This is Izzy. Hi, Hi. Izzy. How are you? Good.
0: My wife's here, too, obviously. Um, Just wanted to give you a heads up. Um, I actually had gallbladder surgery on Saturday.
1: Oh, Uh, my gosh. Was um, that an emergency surgery?
0: Yeah, it kind of popped up. Yeah, but uh, uh, but uh, just a heads up if I have to like, uh, c- could I excuse myself for just one moment? You'll you'll know why I just. Sure. Sorry. No,
1: no, problem. That's quite all right. Um, how long will this take? I have to let my cats in uh, at a certain point, and I just want to know how. I couldn't remember how long, the other interview yeah, I think, was.
0: I think the last time uh, took uh, about an hour or so. If you need a little less time, though, we can. It's whatever yeah. what time you've got available.
1: I do, actually, because my cat actually has a uh, an abscess that I found this afternoon, so I'm going to be taking him into the emergency room after our talk. So. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. But-
1: um, so if I could be done in uh, forty minutes, that would be great.
0: Yeah, yeah that, that'd be perfect. Uh, yeah, okay. we can definitely do that. Um, yeah, yeah. Th- yeah you're, you're really taking yeah, yeah, out time for us, so it's you know.
1: Well, no, no. I, as long as I'm done by six forty-five, then I can bring him in and take him out, take him to the vet. I wasn't going to go earlier anyway because the traffic is so bad that it would have just oh. he would have been in the. So it's quite alright. If I had to, I would have. He's eating and stuff, so he doesn't seem to be too bothered. But <laughs> I want to make sure he. You know, I'm worried that if I wait till tomorrow, it'll be infected or something. So it's 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 well, uh, if, swollen right now.
2: You don't want that uh that bursting at 2 a.m. all over your covers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh really? If that's not what happened to you. Your gallbladder did it.
2: Oh, oh no, 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 no. But I grew up on a farm and. Uh, we, we didn't take our pets to the vet very often just because, yeah. you know, farm, farm city or whatever. So I have had multiple abscesses burst. They like to oh wait till about 2am and they're usually just fine, but, uh, you get to clean that up and. Oh
1: my gosh. You'd rather oh let the vet clean gosh. it up. <laughs> yeah. Oh golly. Yeah, no, I think this just came up today. So
0: hopefully it won't. So. Oh well, okay. I guess, uh, on that note, um, no. <laughs> Right, Alexandra, thank you for joining us uh, here on Everything I Learned from Movies. Um, I guess, first and foremost, uh, if you could just let us know, uh, I guess, where you grew up, what your family life was like, and kind of go from there.
1: Sure. I grew up, I was born in New York City, but I I can, and I, my father worked in Paris for several years, so I spent four winters in Paris at a couple different times in my life. So um, I've traveled a bit growing up but mostly I consider my birth my my home to be New England uh, Connecticut and Massachusetts and uh, I have a twin sister and a younger brother um, and we grew up in the country uh, West Cornwall Connecticut it's a town of 1200 people and uh, the nearest movie theater was 11 miles away, I think. So we didn't go to movies that much. Uh, We didn't. My mother forbid television most of the time, so we didn't even watch television that much. So I would lose in a game of trivia pursuit when it comes to the pop culture section. Um, And uh, yeah, so I went to um, to a few different schools, and then for high school I went to boarding school in Massachusetts and graduated from there. And I had already started modeling in New York City and. So I took a year off before going to college and modeled in New York, and it was during that year that I got my first acting job, which was uh, a TV movie called Paper Dolls, which was about models.
0: Nice. Yeah, that, and that had an amazing cast uh, back in, uh, was that 1982, with uh, Daryl Hannah and Eric Stoltz and Joan Collins and Antonio Vargas. I mean, like, there was a lot of people in that.
1: Yeah, back then, TV movies were a big deal, um, and the Monday night ABC TV movie was, uh, you know, much watched, and so they they were able to um, bring together a nice cast. Craig T. Nelson played my dad, oh, yeah, um, right. Jennifer Warren, who uh, was a wonderful movie actress. She played my mom, and uh, she still is a wonderful actress. She's still with us, but... Um, and yeah, and that movie was produced by Leonard Goldberg, who also produced with Aaron Spelling, Charlie's Angels and other many, many other uh, great shows of the 70s and 80s. So um, it was it did very well. It was in the top it was the top, one of the top five TV movies of that year. So I was really lucky out of all the TV movies from CBS, from the many, many networks in 1982, which consisted of CBS ABC and NBC, and then PBS, which did not make movies of
0: the week. (laughs) Yeah. Nice, yeah. Uh, And so, uh, like, before that, did you always want to be, like, a model and an actress, or were there, like, other uh, dream jobs you, like, were studying for or anything like that? Yeah, No,
1: no, it was not my – I had no idea about becoming a model and an actress. I was – actually, when I was filling out my college – forms. um, In my junior year, I wanted to be an environmental scientist, which was actually not a major that I had to write it in every time. It was not a major I could just tick a box. So I knew I was very interested in the environment and concerned about it. So in in ninth grade, when I first got to school, the boys rated all the girls in terms of what they were going to be or what their projections were. And I was what they wrote for me was, like jane fonda saving the whales and i remember reading that and going that's ridiculous um but then here i am in los angeles and uh you know i've actually worked on trying to save the whales so um (laughs) uh yeah
0: so i guess those ninth
1: grade boys knew me better than i knew myself even though they'd only know me for two months or so
0: (laughs) (laughs) me and jane hang out on weekends and
1: (laughs) right exactly so, yeah, no, it was not my destiny at all. I mean, I was—I don't come from a family, but my family, yeah, was more – my dad went to Harvard and Yale, and he was a banker. We were all very sort of intellectually, more intellectually focused. and um, So I went a little bit off the beaten path um, by by modeling and then acting.
0: Oh, so, and I guess your next job after uh, Paper Dolls, was that when uh, you were working on uh, Christine with John Carpenter?
1: Well, actually, the next job I actually got and started shooting was a job, it was a job called Just the Way You Are. And I think they changed it to another name, maybe, um, with Christy McNichol and Michael Aunt Keane and um, Patrick Cassidy. And it was shot in France. And uh, we had to stop for Christmas break. That was in 1981. No, sorry, 82. And so during that break, Christy had um, some struggles which I, I think was drugs. I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. They called it they called it she needed a rest, but I think that's a that's a
0: euphemism yeah, for exhaustion. Yeah, I have yeah. that one before. Yeah, and
1: uh, <laughs> I was so young I believed that she needed a rest. So I was, yeah, well, you know. I was like, Oh, you know, I came from Connecticut, I'd never seen drugs or anything like that, done drugs. So um, anyway, so that that film was put on hold and we actually went back the following December to finish shooting it, which is pretty amazing. Um, it was being mm-hmm. shot in the French Alps. But during that time, I, I did get Christine, and I shot uh, the John Carpenter Stephen King film, Christine.
2: No, I absolutely love that movie. How oh, yeah. is John Carpenter to work with?
1: Oh, he was so great, so calm, and he just totally knew what he wanted. And he really, we got along really well. I was. I was 19, and I really looked to directors. My first director, you know, Paper Dolls was directed by Ed Zwick, who has mm-hmm. won several Academy Awards. Um, and he was so, like, he worked with me to get the emotion up and all this stuff. Maybe it's because I had, well, I know, it's because I had no experience. So I, mm-hmm. I needed even though I'd taken acting classes. And I always looked since then for directors to uh, take that much um work with me that, that intensely. And that has never happened in my 35, 36 years of being an actress. I've, it's like my, Ed Zwick was my first love and nobody, nobody was able to, uh, to reach that. Um, but John Carpenter was different and it was different and wonderful in a, in a, he was wonderful in a different way. Um, and the set was just really relaxed. He had so much confidence and, he he talked to me when he need, felt he needed to and um yeah i'm not a fan of my of my um performance in that film my voice is tiny and whispery and maybe it wasn't paper dolls too i just haven't seen paper dolls because it was a tv movie i don't have a
2: a
0: dvd of it but. Yeah, yeah yeah we actually tried finding it online or something and it's it's tough to come by apparently
2: so somebody out there in the podcast universe wants to you know find a copy we can send it to miss paul <laughs> Well, then I would be eternally grateful for
1: sure. Um, I think I have a, I might have a VHS where someone copied it off the TV, but uh, it, what that was so long ago, I don't even know what it would look like. So, we have a and I don't VHS have a VHS player. player. Oh, you have a VHS? Well, I'll come so over.
2: There you go. We'll have a party. We can hang out with kitties and drink some beers.
1: <laughs> that sounds great. So yeah, so Christine was was my
2: next one. Then I went back to
1: finish uh, Just the Way You Are. Then, my next, then I did another TV movie, I think, um, Getting Physical, perhaps, where I, um, or no, I did American Flyers. That was what I did. Yeah, I was going
0: to say, uh, like great directors and stuff, you've worked with, uh, like John Badham was the director of American Flyers, right?
1: I know, and he was great too, very much known as, a, as an actor's director, and yes, isn't that wonderful? I'm so lucky. Yeah. yeah, that was a wonderful experience.
0: Yes. I love
1: shooting American Flyers. I two of my two of my closest friends came from that. They were crew on American Flyers and then um, I just really enjoyed uh, that
0: movie. Nice and a, and a young Kevin Costner as well.
1: A young Kevin Costner who <laughs> when he was working on American Flyers, he hadn't done anything but that he, sorry, he'd done things. He had been cut out already of Francis. Yeah. And he, no, he'd been cut out of Francis and the Big Chill. Um, okay. Not because he was bad, but because he played the dead friend in the Big Chill. Okay. And then in Francis, I can't remember what he played, but he was in the flashbacks, I think. So he hadn't, even though he'd shot big films, he hadn't come out in anything yet. He had done Silverado, but it hadn't yet come out from what I recall. Okay. And of course, Silverado's the thing when it came out. He was so great in it. People loved it. That was the beginning him with the public, certainly, and I think it, Hollywood already knew he was a great actor.
0: Nice. Excellent. Excellent. And then, yeah, uh, shortly after that, I mean, there was uh, 8 Million Ways to Die, and that was working with uh, Jeff Bridges and uh, Andy Garcia and Rosanna Arquette. Uh, what, what was that shoe like?
1: I I remember being just totally f- like American Flyers, I played a hippie, and I was sort of free and easy, and I, I had my friend, my neighbor Rita was my sort of the touchstone for that character and um for eight Nine ways to die i when i auditioned for it i remember getting uh being told i was going to screen test and going to my acting class and telling my teacher i don't know what to do i i'm i'm not sexy i'm not attractive enough i can't do this and he had me go through the scene that i was auditioning for and said, you just have to be braver than everybody, anybody, everybody else auditioning, Alexander, that's the only thing you need to do. And so I guess I was. And (laughs) I I just wasn't used to I played girls next door, you know, so much that I wasn't used to playing the prostitute next door. Uh, I think that was actually one of the reasons they did cast me was because I had an innocence uh, about me. Um, So, yeah, I was very innocent. And I remember going to meet, they had a, a, they had the production company hired a call girl to consult. And so I went Mm -hmm. to the producers, um, one of the producers, there were many producers, uh, his house to meet her and talk to her. Her name was Reagan. That was her prostitute, her working name. And Mm -hmm. uh, her name was Reagan. And you can see in the background of some of the scenes, uh, the party scenes. And I talked to her, and I don't remember what I talked about, but I do remember that she went upstairs, and I was, my eyes were all big, like, oh my god, I think she might be with the producer. Okay. So, by the way, he was single. He was single, but still, I was so naive. I was so naive. Um, and anyway, that opened uh, that well, opened my eyes a bit.
0: Well, she is a consultant, you know. No,
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. God bless her. Uh, And actually, since then, I've played prostitutes and I've visited um, several houses of uh, prostitution in one in Las Vegas and one here in Los Angeles. That was a dominatrix house Mm -hmm. just to just to meet and be able to work on characters that were, um, you know, working as escorts or, just, you know, and so, yeah, I think that's. Right, exactly, and it was, it's a, yeah, that's one of the great things, you can do a lot of really interesting research, um, and learn about, uh, other ways other people live, so, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and then, and then you must have gotten the bends, uh, because shortly after that you were doing Dragnet, where, uh, work with Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd, but I remember your character being, like, super squeaky clean, and, like, innocent, and
1: she was a virgin.
0: Yeah. The virgin
1: the virgin connie swale that's right i did i went from a prostitute to a virgin yeah i like that that the way how you said it getting the bands it was quite a change for sure <laughs> but at the end the very last scene dan Aykroyd doesn't call me the virgin connie swale which had been my name throughout the entire film he calls me connie Swell, and tom hanks looks at him and goes not the virgin connie swale or something like that and Dan Aykroyd gives this look like, I'll never tell. And uh, (laughs) when I went to the screening of uh, Dragnet, uh, that scene was shot after the main, I had no idea, had been deflowered. That that scene was shot later. (laughs) Isn't that funny? (laughs) Uh,
0: I'm sure Dan Aykroyd has some influence on that. No,
1: No, he was great. Um, Tom Hanks is just like as wonderful and sweet and likable as he appears you know has just his his auras like that and he was playing that kind of character and dan was playing you know the straight-laced guy he was also just the facts and he had to had so much dialogue and our relationship was much more formal like i would go to the set and i would shake his hand in the morning um because that was what our relationship was you know the virgin connie swale so uh it worked perfectly but you know he was really lovely to work with so Excellent. and both Tom and, and Dan live not far from me. And I have only seen Dan once in the post office. And then I saw Tom once at the gas station. Uh, but, yeah, and they were both just lovely. <laughs> so. oh, wow.
0: Excellent. Yeah, yeah that's got to be cool living in L.A. and just like being at gas stations and like oh, that's Academy <laughs> Award winner Tom Hanks pumping gas and uh, know, that's right. g- getting big league exactly. chew. <laughs> that's uh. right. Right, and then uh, shortly after that, you were in one of my favorite movies, and I, I know last time we talked, uh, you were uncredited on it, but you were The, the Chief's Wife in Cuffs uh, with uh, Christian Slater and is it Tony Goldwyn, is his name? Yeah, yes, yeah. Tony
1: Goldwyn, yeah, who, who then went on to star in um, Scandal, the series Scandal, yeah. he's also a director. Oh, I'm so glad you liked that movie. Uh, yes, I was uncredited because um, the director, Bruce Evans, was a friend of mine, and so when he asked if I would play that part, my agent thought it was very small. I don't even know if I have a line. I can't. I think I have one line. Um, anyway, so she, she thought it was way beneath me, but I wanted to do it because Bruce Evans is just a wonderful man, and he and his partner, Ray Gideon, wrote uh, Stand By Me, which is one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. and... Um, so, I regret that i'm uncredited. I wonder if i'm credited i don't i mean i wonder if i'm credited on i m d b or and stuff I'm not even uh, sure you, you
0: are an IMDb. i m d b honestly, I'm looking at my copy of the d v d right now. I may be watching it tonight and see if you have a line. I'll let you know <laughs> okay <laughs> please
1: do <laughs> i know i was i know i mopped i was very good at mopping. <laughs> <laughs>
0: A lot of takes of no. that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. the, when we started working on Baywatch. Uh, wh- when when did that start exactly? It was like around ninety, ninety three, ninety four. Was that right? No,
1: I think it was ninety one because I was just oh, okay. finishing up with a movie I did with Pierce Brosnan called. Uh, it was called Death Train and Patrick Stewart um, mm-hmm. and Ted. Silence of the Lambs, bad guy. I oh, can't Ted, remember. Ted Levine. Yeah, Ted Levine. Yeah. Did you get oh wow. I've I'm,
0: so, he, I'm in.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was good actually. It was a good HBO movie, and we were in Croatia. Actually, we were the last. We were the last movie crew out before the war really hit in Croatia. Oh. It already happened in Slovenia, and then it was moving um, down, and it was in Croatia. So we were the last, and 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 Pierce and I were playing UN un operatives or something and it was always so weird to be in the hotel going up to our rooms after a day of shooting and then having these real un people in the ho- in the elevator with us it was just kind of you know they were we were just pretending you know we, we thought we had done a hard day's work of 14 hours on the set but no they had uh, they'd done real work um so yeah I came back from that a little bruised I remember because when they shot the eight, the the stills for Baywatch I had bruises on my on my legs from the stunts I did at the for the Pierce Brosnan movie um but yeah so it was I think it was 91 and I uh was basically asked to audition for that and at first I said no cuz I didn't want to do a series back then you know folks who worked in movies uh, did not didn't move easily between series and and movies. You were always worried that if you did a series, you would. It's sort of like, well, there aren't even any soap operas now. But it was sort of like if if one goes to a soap opera, it's hard to get out of that soap opera again. And right. when you went to a TV series, uh, even if it was Pride in Time and successful, it was hard to move back up to back up because it was a hierarchy up to movies. Um, now, it's I think people prefer to do television uh, than movies nowadays. Um, so Speaking it's funny how it's changed. Yeah. And uh, soap operas have unfortunately almost disappeared. Um, yeah. So times have changed. So, yes, I didn't want to do a series. And I told my agent, oh, gosh, I really don't want to do a series. So I said, no, I don't really want to go in. And then she said, look, you. this is, you know, you should go in and it's um, – Germany was it was really popular in Germany it have been on two seasons uh and uh, it was really popular in Germany and you do a lot of independent films that are financed by German money so you should go in so okay I'll go in <laughs> so I went in and uh auditioned with David and they actually did not have a role that I was right for because the two roles they were auditioning for was Pamela Anderson's role and Nicole Eggert's role Nicole Nicole was Her role was a 20-year-old, and uh, Pamela Anderson is the sexiest woman on earth. So I didn't fit either of those. But I went in anyway. I can't remember what scene I read, but it was with David. And they liked me, and they knew I was a good swimmer. And so they made a role for me. Isn't that cool?
0: Yeah. And,
1: uh, yeah, I got to pick my name. My name, uh, Holden, is named after uh, my my math teacher, John Holden, at the Groton School, the high school I went to, he was kind of a tough guy and real athletic, very athletic and type A, and that was who I wanted her to be because I had played so many sweet, soft-spoken girls next door that I wanted to stretch a little and play somebody who had more power and um, was more grounded. And my twin sister, who was a firefighter at the time, was my was the person that I really used to help me get into that character because that is not my, not wasn't my natural state then. I'm much more assertive and powerful now and comfortable um, in my own skin rather than trying to please people. But back then, so long story short, they offered me the role and I was actually, even though I had resisted going on a TV series, when I started working on a series, I loved it so much, just going to the work. Every day with the same people developing a character. You know, movies, just the the roles for women, especially back then. But even now, um, for the most part, aren't that great. Um, but true. television has really good roles for women. Even back then, the roles were way better. And on um, Baywatch, you know, people think Baywatch was success, sexist, but... You know, to me, our characters, of course, we were in bathing suits because okay, we were lifeguards. We were on the beach. What do you expect oh, yeah. us to wear? Everybody's and in suits. all thank you. And all the women were had the same um, jobs as men. We rescued as many men. We, we had the, um, the the same amount of the lines. I mean, I've been in movies for lifetime that I've starred in. And when a man gets in the scene, they give him all the lines. I mean, it's weird how our society just sort of subconsciously defers to men. But on Baywatch, that was not the case. And uh, so it was a fantastic role. And ever since, I've been loving television movies and, uh, I'm sorry, television series. And I love watching television series, too, which I didn't back then, either. Oh, well, I think television is you know, actually better
0: than movies nowadays. Yeah, so you got to keep up on the craft, too. You know, it helps you uh, understand. <laughs> yes, over- that's,
2: feel, so. that's well, like, right. I can say as someone who's a little girl in the nineties, I had a Baywatch Barbie complete with the uh, squeaking dolphin. Oh, <laughs> and how great. she was one of my favorites because, you know, she did stuff. You know, yeah. we we lived in a house with a pool briefly and she was in that pool like more than I was. <laughs> oh yay. Good for you. Good for you. Yes, I yeah. had a Barbie too.
1: I had a Barbie of myself. The um That's oh, amazing. Wow. uh yeah, so that was kind of neat. Uh, Pamela, uh, David and I each had Barbies. <laughs> oh, that's
0: kind of neat. Nice. Oh. Uh, it's got to be nice. One of the biggest shows on TV makes a role for you. That's, that, that's that got to, got to help the self-esteem.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, we, I, truthfully, when I was in it, um, you don't really, people would say, well, what is it like being on the most watched show in the world? And I would say, um, well, I had been acting for 10 years, so it didn't, uh, Mike, it didn't, Nothing was really new, but uh, what was the one thing that was new was that people recognized me constantly, which was bad because I was really nervous about going into places that like malls and airports alone, but it was good because then when people came up to me and said, I, I know you, what are you, what if you, are you, do you, did you go to such and such high school? You know, I don't now they would go, you're from Baywatch, and that was it. End of story. I would say, yes, I am, and woo, end of story. So that's one of the advantages of being on a, on a show that gets a lot of publicity and a lot of eyeballs.
0: Excellent. And how was the uh, the physical rigors of uh, being on that show with all the swimming and being outside and uh, I'm assuming running and stunt work and all that stuff?
1: Well, we did most of our stunts unless it was falling off, uh, jumping off high things or had to do with fire. We did all our swimming Uh, Except for uh, towards the end of a season, we'd be catching up with all the action sequences because the action sequences, the swimming sequences were shot separately from the land sequences because you had wet hair. So you couldn't go back and forth Mm. from wet and dry hair. That takes too long. So we would shoot all the rescues together, like three episodes of rescues. We'd all go out on a boat um, and shoot all the rescues at the same time Um, and from different shows, different rescues. Uh, It was hard to keep continuity, by the way. There's one rescue. I literally have... Four hairstyles because we shot it at different times, you know, coming up on the beach was a different day than when I dove off the boat. And then when I'm swimming, it's crazy. But, um, so I loved that part. Loved it. In fact, Yasmin, who played my sister in the show, Yasmin Bleach, um, she played my sister, Caroline, which by the way, is the real name of my sister. Wasn't that sweet of the producers to do that? Um, but, um, that was not my choice. They decided that, but it was very sweet of them. Oh. Um, she she would say, give my rescues to Alexandra. She's always begging for more rescues. So, yes, <laughs> I was always begging for more rescues. And I had a very friendly rivalry with David Chokuchi about who had more rescues and who could swim faster. So, right. um, yeah, I loved I loved all that.
2: So you mentioned your sister. Um, I seem to remember hearing something about your sister, the actual firefighter, uh, being mistaken for you, and there being rumors about you saving people?
1: Yes, when I was
2: uh, – <laughs> yes. I
1: actually did a series called um, – it was called Fire Company 132, but it was really an, a remake of L.A. Firefighters, which is on for a season. And then Fire Company 132 never aired, which is so weird. But, okay, they spent $8 million and then didn't air it. But that's Hollywood oh, wow. for you. So I, I played a firefighter uh, for on this television series – But when I was doing Baywatch, my sister up in San Francisco was fighting a fire. Some tourists came up to the chief and said, what movie are you filming? And he got angry. He said, what do you mean, what movie? This is a fire. And they said, but that's the Baywatch lady over there. And that was my sister and all her fire regalia and stuff. (laughs) So (laughs) it's so funny how – yeah, people. Well, even more now, I'm sure with all the reality shows, people just think reality. Is, they get mixed up between what's real, what's TV, <laughs> things like that. So
0: no, that was a
1: real, a real uh, fire.
0: <laughs> it's got me experience as, well as tourists tourist
1: too. <laughs> yeah, right, right.
0: Or I guess around the end of your time with Baywatch, uh, that's when uh, Piranha came up with uh, William Cat and Mia Kunis and Salimun Fry.
1: Yes, I did that. Yeah, I had short hair. Sometimes I think, when did something come up? What was my hair length? And then I can, (laughs) or who was I dating at the time? Hair. Um, (laughs) Uh, I've been with my husband for 23 years, so that only goes up to 1995. And that, that I can't use who was I dating or who was I with because it was just Ian, um, which is lucky for me. Um, Piranha was a ton of fun. Uh, it's the remake of of a show, and I love shooting that film because it was the original was written by John Sayles, really? whom I love. Who I just, uh, Mate Juan is one of my favorite films, and he directed that, and he used oh, to write. Really low-budget films for Roger Corman, and, and Piranha was a Corman film, and the the remake that I did was a Corman film too, which is kind of cool. Uh, he's the for your listeners, I'm sure they know, but he is the the king of the low budget and oh, wow. uh, the horror film, scream, you know, just basically right horror anything that makes money and on the least budget, mm-hmm. he's done. And uh, All the death
0: races, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're very familiar with Roger Corman on our show.
1: Alligator from outer space, or whatever. So John Sales would write things, scripts for him for money, and he wrote the original Piranha, and uh, yeah, and and also I have another, I have several Piranha stories, but one of them is that I went to audition. And you're gonna have to help me with this because I know I forget every time the name of the director. But I went to audition for this director. And he looked at my resume and he goes, oh, you did Piranha, huh? And I said, yeah, I think I'm not usually sarcastic, right? But I guess I was nervous. And I said, yeah, can you believe they remade the first one? Because it was a cheesy movie, right? And all of a sudden this Paul comes over the room and I think, oh, my God, is that the director of the first one? And sure enough, it was. Is that Zemeckis? Who was it? Let me look. Uh, uh,
0: um, Joe Dante, I think, was the... Joe
1: Dante. Yeah. Yes, it was Joe Dante. I insulted uh, him anyway. So through the whole reading, I was thinking, oh my God, I think I screwed up. Okay, so I did not do a good reading. And uh, anyway. <laughs> so.
0: Nice, And then and then shortly after that, another uh, movie I actually just saw uh, about a month ago, uh, because it's actually streaming on Netflix still, I think, is uh, Spy Hard, where you had a, a, a scene or two in there.
1: Yes, I had a cameo. Uh, they they added that, or they were putting in cameos, I think, to funny it up or something. They did that with um with Borat, uh, you know that the Borat movie too. Um, and so I was in, I had a cameo in both those films. But yeah, that was fun with my indeterminate accent. God knows <laughs> where I actually went to work with uh a, with a, a speech coach on trying to figure out what kind of indeterminate accent that I wanted. So. I didn't yeah. want to have a Russian accent because I was an Eastern Bloc, but because, you know, there was so much stuff about Russians, I didn't want to just, you know, make the Cold War between the Russians worse and all that, so just...
0: Yeah, you, we... you, you were just the exotic woman in a Murphy bed. That's right, <laughs>
1: that's right. Yeah, it Excellent. was
0: fun. Excellent. And then you were also on the, uh, the final season of Melrose Place in the the late 90s
1: i was i was uh i played a nun who but a nun who um she's not very nun like and um during that season that's when they heard they were going to be shut down so
2: um
1: that was the end of the nun i think i think i was I think i was in the last episode i come to an untimely end i get i can't remember exactly what happened but it was fun to be on that show no, really like,
0: I've always wondered, like, in the last season, like, when you know it's going to be wrapping up, like, is everybody still having fun, or are they just, like, updating their resumes and stuff like that? I don't know, but.
1: Well, I was, you know, I went on as a I they didn't sign me to as a regular, so I was on as a recurring. So I didn't know how many episodes they'd continue writing me in for. It turns out they wrote me in the, you know, all of them, all the eight that I, for the rest of this, till it, um, stopped, but I remember being in the trailer when the news came down that they weren't going to be picked up, and one of the actresses crying and I think it did affect the sort of the mood of the show, but it didn't for me, I didn't have that kind of history with it mm-hmm. so and so they they had it was it was their thing I felt you know a little left eye I couldn't i I wasn't you know a regular, so yeah.
0: um,
1: it's being a regular' is a lot different than being a recurring
0: yeah yeah i agree i can see that um and and i know you're short on time so i i definitely want to get to all of the uh like environmental activism and charity work and stuff that you've done um i know like in in like 1997 the u.n commended you for your environmental activism uh you won the like international green cross uh what 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 are oh my gosh what what are some of the amazing highlights and stuff that you've you've done over the years
1: Oh well, you know I, I'm an environmentalist. Remember, I wanted to be yeah. an environmental scientist when I was in high school, and I didn't give that up, even though I don't—I didn't get paid for it. As it wasn't—it didn't become a career, but it became um, certainly something that I've—gosh, is as important to me as my career—is uh, my activism. And so I was very involved with the peace movement in the um, in the 80s and 90s. I was, uh, did many civil disobediences and was arrested many times, spent time in jail uh, for peacefully demonstrating against nuclear war and the use of nuclear weapons. And I was also, the, the UN award came from my work uh, speaking out about human population growth. I'm very concerned about that issue. The world population has more than doubled in my lifetime. And I'm only 54 years old, so um, I'm actually speaking. I spoke last year at the animal rights conference on overpopulation. I'm speaking again on it this year, and I have a TEDx talk on human overpopulation. It's. I tend to pick issues that aren't that popular, aren't that a little more fringe, like electric cars. I, I've been driving electric cars since 1990, and oh, wow. I became very involved in. Um, I was in the movie Who Killed the Electric Car because of my activism there. I actually was arrested again then uh, for peacefully blocking a transport truck full of electric cars that were going to the crusher. So um, I I was very involved with that. And now I'm I'm not so involved because it's pretty much been picked up by the mainstream. And I've moved on to working, um, continuing to work on the overpopulation issue, which hasn't become mainstream yet. Um, and people are concerned about discussing it, but it really is an important issue for us all to discuss so that we can all choose choose to have smaller families. Um,
0: yeah, I was going to say that is kind of a touchy thing because there's really one solution to overpopulation and it's <laughs> less population, which is also kind of like, ooh, that's a very touchy subject, you know? <laughs>
1: It unfortunately is, but it really doesn't have to be. You know why it's touching mostly is because India and China kind of ruined it for all of us because they implemented very draconian laws that force people to have fewer children. And in China was only one child. Uh, in yeah. India, I don't know exactly, but I know that they did force abortions. And that is not, yeah. that does not work. And that is not the way to go about it. More how to go about it is to really help people understand the benefits of a small family. Because just a 100 years ago, you needed to have a large family, A, to work the farm, and B, to help you because there was no social security, so you needed people, kids to take care of you when you got older. And C, so many kids died before they even got to age five. Yeah. So it's ingrained in us to have large families, but now it doesn't work with our society, but our and with what's going on on the planet, but our our culture and our biology haven't yet caught up with that. So it's really a very loving, positive thing to have a smaller family, and not to force people, but to just let them know the the benefits of it, and encourage governments to uh, incentivize by you know having tax breaks for having smaller kids rather than tax breaks for having more kids, which is how it is now. So there's there's many ways to do it in just a loving way. For me, it's mostly. People have an idea that only children are lonely children, and that's what we have grown up with, and uh, big families are happy families. It's kind of the tropes that we grew up with, so it's a lot about changing that mindset, so... I talk about it pretty honestly because I don't really mind if people don't agree with me. there's no money they're pull you know I'm not a I'm not a um a nonprofit, so nobody I don't care if donors don't or people don't like me for it because I really I don't have children myself. so I have no skin in the game like there's no reason for me to be doing this unless I really care about your children and your grandchildren because i I don't have any and actually, my sister and brother don't have children either so mm. um. So our family line ends, uh, with us. Um, and, and that's okay.
0: Yeah. That's it. Well, and like I grew up in Utah, uh, my, my mom (laughs) is actually one of 17 kids and my dad was (laughs) one of eight, uh, but they had two. Um, and I, you know, a lot of different factors there, but it's definitely one of those things where it's like, you know, back in the uh, fifties and sixties, they, you know they needed the eight or more kids for work on the farm mostly but yeah definitely um can see where obviously world population and it just it's just all about resources and stuff as well yeah.
2: and, i was gonna say uh if you want the cure i think for a lot of people uh to have less kids we just need to like hear some more steve's mom stories about living with Sixteen <laughs> siblings and two parents in a two-bedroom farmhouse.
0: Yeah, two-bedroom farmhouse. Yeah.
2: Oh my tight, God. Yeah. That's fit. amazing. Oh, yes, no. and you know, the, and your
1: parents had fewer, and that's what happened because people, because circumstances have changed. By the way, family size has, on average, been cut in half world around the world since the '60s when at its height, when yeah. the population was at its height, it was an average of five kids per couple all around the world. In, the, in this 1960, and now it's just two and a half kids on average. So we've actually cut our family size down by half. Unfortunately, we are still growing every year. We add over 200,000 people a day to the planet after, after births and everything. So we add a quarter of a million people almost every day the planet so we're still growing because there's so as i said when i was born in 1963 there were three billion people on the planet and now there's 7.6 so and 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 growing so that's that's why that
0: and medicine and everything advancing yeah that's
1: yeah
2: there's about six billion of them here in the uh, san francisco bay area
1: (laughs) exactly we all feel it in some way or another yes that's right traffic is is and we can only put the widening of the roads just puts a temporary Band-Aid on it, and then more people get born. And mm. so anyway, it's uh, it's I'm, I'll be speaking at the Animal Rights Conference at the end of this month if anybody wants to come, or you can look at my TEDx talk or my talk from the Animal Rights Conference last year, which is only 11. Oh, they're both about the same. They're all 10, 11 minutes. Um, so you could just look up Alexandria Paul population. It will come up. <laughs> so
0: and where's i'm sorry where yeah. was your speech at which conference was this
1: the animal rights conference actually because obviously human numbers affect animals and habitat uh and pollution and all that so uh, we were able to get that uh, in dc last year it was the animal rights conference in dc and this year it'll be in the animal rights conference in la excellent
0: excellent no. And um, I guess one of your more recent starring roles, you you've, uh, had a cameo in uh, Sharknado 4, but are, are there any other, like, dream projects or, like, other acting things you have coming up that you'd uh, like to promote or um, anything you want, you'd like to do?
1: Oh, well, I have a movie coming out called Say Yes. Um, it's an independent movie. I've worked with Stuart Wade before on a movie called oh, a be- Beautiful
0: Love.
1: I can't remember. True Love true love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I work with him again on, on um, I've done over a hundred projects. So I, I, I forget sometime what the titles are, but, uh, on okay. say yes, um, is coming out this year and I would love to do another series. Um, but I'm also working as a health coach. I've opened a business as a health coach because I recognize that I want to be working into my seventies and, as I get older, I'm not getting the role as big I'm not getting the lead roles, and so I don't want to have to depend and wait for someone to call me to work. So I've opened my own business as a health coach, which you can see at alexandracoaching.com, exactly. uh, and I coach all over because I coach by phone or by Skype. I had a call with somebody from Indonesia today, so <laughs> <Very> <laughs> yeah. Nice. So God bless Skype, you
0: know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's how we're talking right now. It's amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm so sorry, but my cat, I have to take my cat to the vet. And I would love to talk longer because you all are just so lovely. And it's really a joy. And I appreciate all the homework that you've done on my career. It's really lovely to speak to people who are so knowledgeable.
0: Well, I'm this, Polly, and Paul, Thank you so much for joining us um, here on Everything I Learned From Movies. Uh, guys, just before you go, uh, with our show being called Everything I Learned From Movies, is there anything in particular you'd like that you've learned over the years that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, just like any life lesson- lessons they should take with them?
1: Yes. I'll tell you a life lesson that I got. So I was talk. This is what I learned. I learned it when I did a movie called, uh, it was a pilot, I think. Actually called Green Sales, but it was a TV movie, and then it was hopefully going to go into a pilot, but didn't get picked up. Called Green Sales with Michael Ontkean again and uh, Marcus Graham, who's an Australian actor. And I was working. the The writer is an, is a guy named Gregory. Oh, you probably will know it. I don't, okay. but anyway, um, he he wrote Highlander and The Raven, oh. and he's. Um. I'm I'm terrible.
0: I know the director is Russell Mulcahy, but yeah.
1: Yes. Um. Anyway, I will um see if I can find it. But anyway, he. Oh, Greg Wyden, that's it. Greg Greg Wyden. Wyden. Okay, so he. So Highlander, you know, was many movies, and there was theme park, and The Raven 2 had um sequels and theme parks and series and all. And I said to him. How how do you do it? How it's you're doing so well. Congratulations. It's so tough being a writer. He said, Alexandra, I do what people ask me to. And when they ask me for a script in three weeks, I give them a script in three weeks. It might not be the best script because it's only written in three weeks, but I do what I'm asked. And most people don't. And, and I thought, wow, you know what, that is just really good advice. Just do what people ask. And if you do that, you don't have to be the best writer um, in the world or the best actress or whatever, but just do what's asked and you will do well.
2: That yeah. is excellent advice. Thank you so, so much, Miss Paul. Yeah.
0: Thank you well, so thanks
1: to Gregory Wyden for that, and it was a real pleasure speaking to you both.
0: Likewise. And we wish too. the best for you you and your and your cat. Hopefully you speedy yes. recovery.
2: Thank you, and to you both too. To and, you too. <laughs> and feel free to come back on if there's anything else you want to promote, if you just want to talk, let us know. We're happy to have you on any time. And please, if you want to speak again, it would be my pleasure. Excellent. Have a wonderful night.
0: Have a good evening. Thank
2: you. Bye bye. 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 bye.
0: Well that was pretty cool.
2: That was amazing. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. She is so fascinating. Right? I love it.
0: We Now our podcast officially has a TEDx talker.
2: Yeah. We're
0: legit people. Woo. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks to Miss Paul for uh, spending some time with us. Yes, uh,
2: thank you so much. And
0: thank you all for listening. Uh, hopefully uh, you're checking out all of her uh, TEDx videos. and uh, Definitely check out some of her past movies, though. I, I want to check out that Death Train or... Oh yeah. oh yeah it's oh yeah
2: absolutely and you know what take her advice just do when you want to do something just do what you're asked like yeah. ask somebody who's knowledgeable yeah do it yeah. just do it
0: Just do that it. seems
2: to be a recurring theme on this podcast from uh advice is just do stuff
0: yeah just get out there and do it don't don't let people hold you back and just do good work yeah 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 anyway until next time i'm steve and i'm izzy and this is Everything Everything I learned learned from movies. movies. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.